Happy Nurses Week to all the nurses and future nurses listening. To celebrate, I'm having a 20% off sale on Study Sesh. This is my private podcast that features over 140 episodes to help you study on the go. Formats include pod quizzes, power hour deep dives, drills, and case studies. If you're tired of sitting at your desk or staring at a screen, but still want to review for nursing school, it's time to check out Study Sesh. Go to straightanursingstudent.com and click on Courses in that top menu bar. That's straightanursingstudent.com and click on Courses in the menu bar. See you there. Well, hello, hello, and if you're listening to this on the day it comes out and you're in the United States, happy Thanksgiving. I'm Nurse Mo, and this is the Straight A Nursing Podcast. This is where I teach nursing concepts and share tips on how to thrive both in nursing school and beyond that in your career at the bedside. I was going to take the week off because I figured a lot of my listeners are holidaying and watching Thanksgiving Day parades and basting turkeys, but I thought, nah, I don't want to actually do that because I have listeners from all around the world, but I am doing a mini-ish episode today. It's a little bit shorter, but I hope it does pack a powerful punch for you and teach you some things that you may not have already known. So today we're going to be talking briefly about the difference between a STEMI and an NSTEMI. So these are two terms you've probably heard a lot and maybe you're not really sure how they differ. So that's what we're talking about today. We're going to dive into how these two different cardiac events differ and are the same in a lot of cases. So let's first start with what we mean by STEMI and NSTEMI. So STEMI refers to ST elevation myocardial infarction and NSTEMI refers to non-ST elevation myocardial infarction. Obviously, you can tell by the name that both of these involve evaluating the ST segment on the ECG. So let's first talk about that. The ST segment is a flat isoelectric section that begins at the end of the S wave at a place called the J point, and it extends to the beginning of the T wave. So the ST segment represents the interval between ventricular polarization and repolarization. While there are many causes for ST segment elevation, the most critically important one is myocardial infarction or ischemia. Other potential causes for ST elevation include pericarditis, coronary vasospasm, and left ventricular hypertrophy, though there are quite a few others. So let's now talk a bit about STEMI, or ST elevation myocardial infarction. A STEMI occurs when there is a complete and persistent occlusion of a coronary artery. It is seen on the ECG as an elevated ST segment. So you might be thinking, well, how elevated does it need to be? So for an ST segment to be considered pathologically elevated, it must be elevated in at least two contiguous leads and be elevated by greater than two millimeters in V1, V2, or V3, 
or greater than one millimeter in other leads. According to uptodate.com, which is where I went to get a lot of this information because I wanted it to be as current as possible, a new left bundle branch block combined with signs of acute coronary syndrome could also be suggestive of a STEMI. Okay, now let's go back a little bit. I mentioned contiguous leads a moment ago. What do we mean by that? These are leads that show electrical activity at adjoining areas of cardiac tissue. But the tough part is they're not necessarily next to each other on your ECG printout when you conduct that test. So one of the easiest ways to see which leads are contiguous is to use a badge card with that reference on it. I don't carry many badge card references because they make my badge way too heavy, but that is definitely one that I want to have on me. You can also use a graphic online. I will put a link in the episode notes to one that I think is pretty helpful so that you get an idea of what I mean when I say contiguous leads and what that looks like when you print out your 12 lead ECG. Okay, so just to recap quickly, a STEMI has ST elevation and occurs when there is a complete and persistent occlusion of a coronary artery. Now let's talk about NSTEMI. A non-ST elevation myocardial infarction usually results from significant coronary narrowing, microemboli, or a short-term occlusion. As the name suggests, there is no ST elevation on the ECG, which can make diagnosing or noticing an NSTEMI a bit more difficult. Instead, it is diagnosed based on clinical symptoms and the presence of elevated cardiac enzymes. Note that an NSTEMI can cause ECG changes, but since they're not always present, their absence does not rule out an infarction. Some changes that may be seen on the ECG include ST depression, a transient ST elevation, and new onset T-wave inversion. So again, to recap, that NSTEMI results from significant coronary narrowing, microemboli, or a short-term occlusion, whereas a STEMI, again, is from a complete and persistent occlusion of a coronary artery. Let's take a quick break and we'll come back and talk about the symptoms of myocardial infarction. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So what are the symptoms of a myocardial infarction? So the classic signs of a myocardial infarction, whether it be STEMI or NSTEMI, are chest pain that is often described as crushing or squeezing. The patient may have shortness of breath, nausea or indigestion, vomiting, cool and clammy skin, dizziness and fatigue. Note that not everyone who has a myocardial infarction experiences chest pain. For example, 
Patients with diabetes will often not experience chest pain due to the damage that the disease causes the nerves, a condition called neuropathy. Also, studies show that women can experience a myocardial infarction differently than men and may be more likely to report symptoms of shortness of breath, back pain, jaw pain, and nausea and vomiting. And what about heart transplant patients? Studies show that many patients with heart transplant have shortness of breath and weakness as their main symptoms. When a myocardial infarction occurs without chest pain, it's often referred to as a silent MI or a silent myocardial infarction. So what about some tests that are conducted? In addition to evaluating the 12-lead ECG, other tests the MD may order include an echocardiogram and, of course, those cardiac enzymes. The key cardiac enzyme is troponin I because it is the most sensitive and specific marker for myocardial injury. Troponins typically increase three to four hours after the infarction occurs and are rechecked every six or so hours while the patient is being evaluated for their myocardial infarction. All right, now let's talk a bit about how STEMI and NSTEMI are treated. When cardiac muscle is compromised, time is critical. The patient must be assessed quickly and interventions started promptly. We say that time is muscle. We're talking about cardiac muscle and we want to save as much of it as possible. Many emergency departments have a goal of completing a 12-lead ECG within 10 minutes of arrival of a patient who has signs of acute coronary syndrome, as I just mentioned, that chest pain, shortness of breath, all of those. So some initial interventions for both STEMI and NSTEMI include supplemental oxygen as needed to maintain an SpO2 greater than 90%. We want to make sure we have good IV access and treat any arrhythmias as they come up in order to maintain hemodynamics. The recommendation is to administer 325 milligrams of aspirin to be chewed and swallowed. If unable to give orally, then a suppository can be utilized. Another recommendation is nitroglycerin sublingually for patients who have persistent chest pain. However, note that nitroglycerin is contraindicated in hypotension in a patient who's currently using a phosphodiesterase inhibitor such as Viagra and in right ventricular infarction. Giving nitroglycerin in these cases could cause significant and even life-threatening hypotension. Another recommendation is to administer a beta blocker such as 25 milligrams metoprolol to patients who do not have heart failure or high risk for heart failure who do not have hemodynamic compromise, bradycardia, or reactive airway disease. We're also going to provide analgesia with something like morphine if chest pain persists after we give that nitroglycerin. And if the patient is not already taking a statin, the recommendation is to initiate statin therapy as soon as possible. This would be with 80 milligrams atorvastatin. And of course, we're going to draw labs for those cardiac enzymes or biomarkers. Now, looking specifically at STEMI treatment, the gold standard for STEMI is reperfusion therapy, with the preferred method being catheterization and PCI, percutaneous intervention. The goal for many hospitals is a door-to-balloon time of 90 minutes, meaning the patient goes to the cath lab and has an intervention to open the blocked vessel 
within 90 minutes of arrival to the ED. If PCI is not available, fibrinolytics are recommended to be administered within 120 minutes of arrival, provided there are no contraindications. Other therapies include antiplatelet therapy. The dose and specific medication utilized will depend on several factors, including the patient's age, whether they have received fibrinolytics, and whether they have undergone PCI. Medications recommended for antiplatelet therapy are clopidogrel, ticagrelor, and prosugrel. And then there's also anticoagulation therapy. The preferred medication for anticoagulation is heparin, though bivalirudin may be utilized. Patients who have been treated with a fibrinolytic may receive anoxaparin or fundapirinux. And then looking specifically at NSTEMI treatment, there's also antiplatelet and anticoagulation therapy. So just as with STEMI treatment, the dose and medication used for antiplatelet therapy is going to depend on a few different variables, such as age, weight, past medical history, and whether or not the patient had an invasive procedure. And then looking at anticoagulation therapy, heparin or Bivalirudin are utilized for patients undergoing catheterization within four hours or angiography within four to 48 hours. Patients not undergoing an invasive procedure may be anticoagulated with anoxaparin or fondopurinex. So what is the overall prognosis for STEMI and NSTEMI? So overall, patients who suffer from STEMI have poorer short-come prognosis at that 28-day time period when compared to those with NSTEMI. However, looking farther out, studies show that at the two-year mark and onward, patients have about the same mortality rate, an annual mortality rate of about 2%, regardless of which type of infarction they presented with. Some complications for myocardial infarction include heart failure, cardiogenic shock, pericarditis, mitral regurgitation, ventricular septal rupture, cardiac tamponade, arrhythmias, and heart blocks. So I hope this quick episode helps clear up any confusion you may have had about STEMI versus NSTEMI and how they differ. Before we close out, I want to let you know how thankful I am for you, my podcast listener. I'm so glad that you take the time to listen to me talk about nursing concepts on a regular basis. It means the world to me. And since it is Thanksgiving here in the US, I just wanted to make sure that you know, I'm super thankful for you. And I also want to say that I'm thankful for Erica, who is our listener shout out listener today. Erica said, Yesterday, I had my graduation and pinning from my ADN program. Thank you, Nurse Mo, for all of your podcasts and your Crucial Concepts Bootcamp. I don't think I could have been successful without them. I will continue to use your resources as I study for NCLEX and begin my career as a new grad RN. So thank you so much, Erica. I'm so, so proud of you for getting through your ADN program. That is no joke. You worked really hard. I know you did. And again, super thankful for you. So if you're curious what Erica is talking about, she referred to my Crucial Concepts Bootcamp. I will put a link in the episode notes. Crucial Concepts Bootcamp is a nursing school prep course designed to get students absolutely prepared before they start their programs. Or if they had a rough start, it's a great reboot to come back 
to do in between semesters so that you can start again really strong. So again, I will put a link to that in the episode notes. Have a fantastic Thanksgiving for those of you who celebrate Thanksgiving. And I will see you back here next week where we will be talking about a skin condition, a very, very detrimental and dangerous and potentially deadly skin condition called toxic epidermal necrolysis. So make sure you're following the show so you don't miss a single thing. And I'll see you next week. Bye. This podcast is brought to you by Straight A Nursing, a proud member of the Airwave Media Network. For more educational podcasts, check out airwavemedia.com. And for more nursing-related content, go to straightanursingstudent.com. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts.